Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwall Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. All right. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. And today we have a guest that I'm very excited to have us joining um, to discuss some really big picture things that I am very, very keenly interested in, in talking about today, especially in light of what's going on just globally with supply chains and food systems and a lot of concern and a lot of learning is happening. A lot of people who've never really thought about food system security um, are thinking about it this week even more than they did during COVID. So it's it's not the most uh, exciting topic in the world if you're not somebody who cares, but it's a very important um, topic that I think everybody should be thinking about right now. So welcome, John Rulak. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Now you've had an exceptional background in the world of food. Um, you know, I don't. I know a lot of people who are really passionate about food and food systems, farming, but I don't know as many people who are as passionate as you are about the big picture. But have founded one of the most iconic brands in the CPG space of the last decade. And if you're not familiar with John's story, he is the founder of Nutiva, which if you've ever shopped at um, a, a health food store or even Costco or a number of stores that have anything healthy, you have had one of his products. So John, I was wondering if today to get started, I think people would love to hear a little bit about your background. Like where did you come from? How did you get into the natural products industry? And tell us a little <clears throat> bit about the story of founding Nutiva. It had to have been quite, quite a journey. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've always been interested in in food, I'll, I'll tell you a couple little things. When I was younger, when I was, when I was maybe when I was six or seven, whenever my mom would take me to the supermarket, I would run over to the coconut section and grab a coconut and uh, put it in the cart. Uh, and then when I get home, chop it up and, and drink the milk. <clears throat> and, and then later in my early um, 20s, I would go to the farmer's market and find uh, back when you could bring in whole coconuts when you were allowed to do that and sprout them. And then I would grow coconut palms in my, in my office when I was like in my early twenties, cool. which uh, <laughs> kind of irony is then later I founded Nativa in 1999, which means the nut of Sativa. Our first product was a hemp seed bar, which the government said was an, uh, a, a couple years later was the same category as heroin. Uh, so we ended up suing the federal government <clears throat> because they wanted to both bankrupt me and put me in jail, the, the, um, the Clinton administration and the Bush administration. Wow. Um, I'm glad you're mentioning this. I don't know the side of the story. Thank you. Yeah. And we won that loss lawsuit in federal court in 2004, uh, with, you know, worked with many members of the, of the, the hemp food, 
sector, uh, including Dr. Bronner's and Nature's Path. Um, uh, but then, then in 2003, I, I decided to introduce coconut oil. <clears throat> so, uh, and literally, you know, the, 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 I, I look back and go, um, the fact that I was growing coconut palms in my office, you know, 20 years before that, I, I've kind of chuckled at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, uh, so we're one of the, one of the leading, uh, organic, uh, coconut oil companies in terms of a brand in, in North America. Uh, and primarily I got, I introduced Nativa started that as, as a way to show there was a market for farmers in Canada growing hemp. So I'm a, a big fan of hemp. I've written several books on it. Um, uh, and it, it's a, it's a great rotation crop though. It's, that's <clears throat> extra hype though. And hemp won't always do as much as what some people think it can. Um, but it, it's an excellent uh, seed for food, very nutritious and omega threes, protein, magnesium, zinc, and iron. Mm-hmm. And, and it also has, um, you can make automobile parts and clothing and building materials. So it's a, it's a versatile crop. Just there's a lot of challenges with the processing and the growing um, and scaling up given it's been, you know, attacked for so long. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's a little, uh, little background on, on Nativa. And I stepped down as CEO four years ago. Uh, so I was in Nativa for, for uh, 18 or so years. And we had a very good run. We grew it over 50% a year for over a decade and seven years in a row, Inc. Magazine, fastest growing companies in the, in the, in the country. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Oh, it's a, it's always cool hearing a success story come out of CPG, especially when it's really leading edge and pushing people to think outside the box, which you guys certainly did in, in multiple ways. So it's really cool stuff. Now, where were you living during all of this? Did you grow up in the Bay Area? I grew up, I grew up in, in uh, Pasadena in, okay. in Southern California. And uh, so I started Nativa in, in uh, Sebastopol in uh, north of San Francisco in Northern California. Then after a couple of years, uh, I, I moved. Um, right after I started, I moved down to... Uh, to Ventura County, and and, and uh, Nativa was based there until 2012. Mm-hmm. Until we basically we kind of outgrew the county in terms of of trying to find the 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 where was going to be the best place, especially when you're fast growing. And mm-hmm. so the Bay Area just had a lot of access to good you know quality assurance managers and plant managers and mm-hmm. you know good marketing people, finance people, right? Because uh, when you're growing is really so so we moved to richmond california which is which is uh, six miles um northeast of san francisco mm. uh and uh so we moved there in 2012 and that was yep. a, that was a great location and uh that's where we where we really ended up uh ended up growing and um well, the, good the resources that, there for sure yeah, the bay area has yeah. a lot of real business support <clears throat> structure in, when it comes to like intellectual marketing all of that stuff yeah, yeah, and there's a group called OSC2 that that uh, companies like Numi and mm-hmm. uh, Tiva and and Dr. Bronner's and uh, you know other uh, Waikiki um, are members of, and so there's been a lot yeah. of good networking there. Absolutely, it's that strength in numbers kind of concept when you're pioneering a whole new category in food. And for those of you who are listening and haven't heard of OSC, I believe it's one step closer. 
is the acronym, what it means. And it's an organization dedicated to growing organic, um, as far as I understand, um, in the marketplace. So um, great organization if you've never um, checked into that. But, you know, as far as like, you know, your business trajectory, you think about going from, you know, putting some coconut oil on the market or hemp seeds in a bag, and then you look at scaling it at the degree that you guys have, which is like absolutely impressive. Supply chain obviously became your baby. Like you had to have lived and breathed supply chain, especially when you're trying to do high quality supply chain. Um, I really love the fact that you guys have always taken a real strong stance on quality sourcing and ethical sourcing and, um, and then even taken it a step beyond that and looked into regenerative sourcing. And if you could tell us a little bit about your learning curve on that and when you first really started thinking about regenerative in the way that we think of it now as far as agriculture. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that when I, when I, I heard a presentation, let's say in 2013, <clears throat> 2014, about the role of regenerative agriculture uh, in soil health uh, in, and in the huge impacts of degenerative agriculture in, in climate, in greenhouse gas emissions, uh, et cetera. It all just kind of came together. It was Will Allen, who's a great farmer um, from Vermont um, that's been a leader in, in uh, the organic and uh, sustainable food industry for, for you know, for, for uh, probably over, over five decades now, six decades. And what I was just blown away with was <clears throat> there was so little of a focus in the environmental movement, environmental community, and, and the organic farming farmers about soil health or regen or the reduction of agricultural chemical usage in in addressing climate change and i was just really surprised that that the you know the, the the original pioneers the hippie farmers which would go you know every year to eco farm in Asilomar, california which which i started going to in my in my you know, um, uh, early thirties, I was just surprised that there was not so much of a focus of that and no one was really talking about. And that's when I got the idea to do the film, kiss the ground. Uh, and that took about seven years to, to bring that together and met different people and filmmakers. And eventually, you know, that came out on, on Netflix, um, uh, about a year and a half ago. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's a fantastic work. It's a work yeah. of art, John. I have to stop you for a second and just kind of digress for a minute on Kiss the Ground because um, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen that film, I want you to stop and cue it on your phone <laughs> so you don't forget to watch it tonight because it is a really incredible, do- well done documentary type film and really puts the context of what regenerative agriculture is all about and the hope and the the better picture of the future that it can hold for us in a very um, agnostic lens. I want to say um, the first time I watched it, I watched it with my mom, and um, my mom is an extremely smart person. Grew up far, you know. We've always had farming roots, and but very very conservative by conviction. And she literally about jumped off the couch and was like, "Yes, this is what needs to happen. This is the future." And she was so motivated by it. And I just thought that was so cool that everybody I've ever told to watch that film said it literally changed the way they looked at things forever. So kudos to you. Yeah. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. And to reach thanks, across thanks. the spectrum of people and like yeah. make it meaningful. It's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, please watch yeah. it. And thanks. Yeah. And thanks to Josh and Rebecca, the, <clears throat> the filmmakers who really did the, the hard work, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fantastic. So you, you know, you, you had this epiphany and it led you to wanting to create a film. Um, that's a, that's a interesting thing. Cause I think a lot of times when people feel like they encounter something, they have an epiphany of thinking and they're like, what do I do about this? Most people don't go, let's launch a film. <laughs> so I think that that's an awesome way to champion a broader thought and a broader thinking process. And, you know, as far as thinking about it, um, before you actually launched the film and started getting the crew together, how, how many years went by? It was seven years. Okay. Seven full years. Okay. That also puts it into perspective for all of us that are working um, to make change in the world is to put it in perspective of time passing great things. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So, right. yeah. So um, how did you put the people together that ended up being in the film? It's a, it's an interesting <clears throat> cast of people. Yeah. Well, first I met the filmmakers and, and, uh, and then we, you know, we also that, you know, the name of the film is named after the NGO kiss the ground, <clears throat> you know, Ryland and Finian, and they were friends of mine. And so, you know, I, I had a sense of, of who some of these, who some of the stars should be and, mm-hmm. and, and so did ground folks. So, um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it just, um, there, there, and there was more people in the film. <clears throat> we just ended up cutting some out and then, and, you know, irony, we had more, we had more farmers and ranchers <clears throat> in it, but we ended up cutting out just because we weren't getting the interest. So when we, when we put some of the celebrities in like Tom Brady and Giselle, mm-hmm. then that's when Netflix like said, okay, yeah, we're interested. Yeah. More. It's just is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad that you guys were able to find people to pull pull that in because I think it does um it just opens people's interest to it who are outside of agriculture. And it is one of the things that is um a little bit of an uphill battle right now with regenerative is that it is kind of like a community that preaches to itself a lot, which is obviously really important because we need more and more farmers. But once you get outside of the regenerative ag side of the community, I feel like often there's a huge divide between what's happening in agriculture and happening in the regenerative world and like what's actually happening on the consumer facing side and like public awareness and, you know, that whole world. So thank God for celebrities that are willing to get behind this. Yeah. We need more of them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For sure. And interesting. There, there's a, there's a, a Indian mystic named Sadhguru um, that has a soil, uh, save soil campaign, and, and one of the, one of the NGOs that I know and and uh, you know like, <clears throat> decided to attack him, you know, because for whatever, and I don't want to get in all the details, but <clears throat> you know, my feeling is, you know, he's speaking at the World Economic Forum, which has has its own issues and challenges and. And, and concerns about you know you know what kind of future they're 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 advocating for and you know but we need people at all in all walks of life mm-hmm. to advocate for soil health and regenerative agriculture <clears throat> you know I don't I don't have to agree with them or even support much of what they're doing but if they're going to talk about soil health that's what we we need because literally the solution is under our feet um, and it's so 
it's so important um, with with um, the environmental crisis we face. You mm-hmm. know the climate, the climate intensity, up. <clears throat> you know the lack of you know of 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 local supply chains and what's going on in <clears throat> Ukraine and Russia and all over the world, which we can mm-hmm. get into. But so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we restore soil in our local communities. The best thing that we can do, and with that, you know, increases biodiversity. With that, <clears throat> increases animal health. With that, increases uh, human health. Um, uh, and a, a host of other things, and reduces costs for healthcare, et cetera. It's almost mm-hmm. like <clears throat> the easiest, best solution in the world today to solve the most problems is the one, the least one that every major environmental organization focuses on. <clears throat> it's the it's has the least focus of the climate movement, mm-hmm. um, of agriculture, of federal governments, of the UN, you know, of the World Economic Forum, of the IMF. You know, you just could go, you know, you know, of our universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely. Kind of the irony that the solution to uh, to what we face, we ignore at our own peril. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's one of the one of the kind of the bitter, bitter, you know, realities that we that all of us who are involved in this movement know it. Yeah, um, we do. At the same time, it, 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 we, we have hope because if you don't have hope, you know, um, you know, life is, uh, life is, is, is rather dysfunctional. So, yeah, um, absolutely. And people, and, and people are waking up. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed is <clears throat> there are people from all sorts of people you wouldn't think of that are getting involved in regenerative agriculture. So, so that, that gives me mm-hmm. some, some positive hope and you know, just keep on doing things. And, uh, uh, and and we ultimately, it's the world is going to evolve not based on what we think in our mind or our, our emotions or in our soul. The world has its own its own momentum. And mm-hmm. my feeling is is this is kind of a Zen thing. We just do you just we just do you know I do you I do me you do you. <clears throat> Everybody does what they can. And at the end of the day, if you felt like you've given it every, you know, you've done the best you can, that's all that we can give. And, and we don't have yeah. to have any second doubts. Um, but if you don't follow your bliss, you don't follow what you think is good, then you're living a life, you know, not so fulfilling. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you on so many levels there. And, you know, it's like if everybody starts speaking about these basic foundational principles that are the key to helping fix all these huge problems eventually there will be a critical mass of people starting to think about how to make this come to life even though soil is not a sexy topic like soil on its own is never going to be like a buzzword topic however this is where i'm really grateful to Sadhguru and the the whole save soil movement that for years, you know, you've been talking about soil for a long, long time. I mean, a lot of people in this movement have been talking about saving soil for forever. I mean, it's been an initiative in the United States since the 20s. I mean, how many people even know that? Right. And, um, but since Sadhguru started talking about it, I have probably had 30 different people reach out to me and go, is this what you've been talking about all this time? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and leave it to like the guru to not get too scientific about it, not get too heady to farmy to whatever he's like just save soil like it's so simple and i think in that way 
it's very powerful coming from someone who isn't an agronomist or isn't a soil scientist or isn't a farmer. He just gets it that it has to happen and that he's like, I'm going to hang my hat on this and I'm going to ride this motorcycle off the cliff and tell people, listen, and I think that's really admirable and really cool because it'll appeal to people outside of our nerdy food systems world, which I love the nerdy food systems world, but guess what? The rest of the world does not care. Like we've got to break that barrier. We've got to get it out to the people who care and who move the needle, which ultimately is a lot of consumers because critical mass and money equates movement in markets. So um, I, I'm glad when other people p- pick up the, the the banner and start to fly it outside of these little circles. Yeah. And one thing I want to share, <clears throat> which um, I'm sometimes not so popular for for kind of speaking, you know, truth to power. And that's that's kind of my that's been my thing for for many decades. But <clears throat> really, the environmental groups from like the Sierra Club <clears throat> to 350.org, um, you know, to Al Gore, um, you know, uh, et cetera. What I, there are what I call controlled opposition. <clears throat> so the dysfunctional uh, economic, you know, uh, military industrial complex, <clears throat> they, what they do is they fund and they support and they promote <clears throat> people who, quote, identify a problem and then propose a solution <clears throat> that does not threaten their economic interests. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's a reason why. Um, the Wall Street and and foundations of the United States fund <clears throat> people like Al Gore's projects, 350.orgs, <clears throat> because they never will tell you the following things, that the, the majority of all carbon emissions and, and pollution in the world is responsible for 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. <clears throat> if we really wanted to make a difference in climate change, you know, like Bill Gates should just park his, his private plane a, a bit more you know, and, you know, sell off, you know, some of his 20,000 square foot homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody can do instead of, you know, instead of taking, you know, getting up five airplanes a year, we could get on three airplanes or two. <clears throat> we all can do things. Mm-hmm. That message is never shared at all for taking personal responsibility. Instead, what they do is saying oil and coal is bad, 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 bad. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop Exxon. We're going to stop Chevron. <clears throat> and, and if you look at the environmental group's record over the last 30 years, it's they fail every year. Every year, it, the, the emissions keep going up. And now with the war in Russia and Ukraine, <clears throat> we're just going to, it's drill, baby, drill. So we're just going to you know, burn more coal. More coal. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to coal to ship to Europe. We're going to, burn, we're going to frack natural gas. Uh, um, and then we're going to ship it over to Europe and do all sorts of, you know, big, huge terminals. It's going to leak along the way. <clears throat> you know, it's going to be massive amount burning fuel all over the oceans. And and uh, <clears throat> this is this is the solutions that they've been promoting, like like solar and wind is going to is going to power the world. And it's should we do that? Yes. But it's only a small portion of the solution. Yeah. <clears throat> In fact, if you look we're, today we're on path that if all the emissions that we're going to release in the next five years will increase the legacy load of greenhouse gas emissions by 6%. <clears throat> if you put a Elon Musk as, as the emperor of energy and, and, and all the economy in the world today, and in five years, 
he would be lucky to reduce emissions from a 6% in five years emission, you know, increase to 4%. So it's really a rounding error. <clears throat> the, 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 the damage that we're seeing and the, the mass, you know, the, the huge increases of, of sun, of, of heat days, of the mm -hmm. intensity of the storms, <clears throat> of the droughts, that's happening for what's already occurred. Right, right. It's like and, legacy. And, and, yeah. Legacy load. And, and so yeah, we're focusing on basically a rounding error in terms of what's going to happen in the next five years. People don't want to hear this, mm -hmm. but essentially whether we go from, from solar and wind, from oil and, and gas, it's going to make a minute difference in the next five years. Is it important we do it? Yes. <clears throat> but what we need is drawdown. We have to draw down that carbon. And of course, the, the, they will say, the critics will hear this and say, oh, John, we should do both. Well, yeah, they do both. And they focus 99.5% of their money and effort in, in, a, in a green techno solution. Yeah. Like you can just continue your lifestyle. You can continue to fly in private jets. You can continue to have massive homes. You can continue to burn you know, fossil fuels to grow food. We can continue to desertify. We can destroy our mangroves. We can destroy the Amazon, but we'll just do this green techno utopia fix. And it's right. just dilute. And instead we can restore nature. Um, and if we would invest in that, I give you an example of what we're doing. And um, I have an organization I founded called Agroforestry Regeneration Communities. So what I do is I do a lot of critiquing of the industrial model and people get upset and I call people out for that <clears throat> um, because someone has to and they can't cancel me. You know, I'm retired, you know, uh, former CEO founder. So, <clears throat> you know, what are they going to what are they going to do? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, and and so uh, but I also focus on solutions. So I so I essentially work with existing people who do food for us, both in Guatemala and East Africa. Um, <clears throat> if we've put in already, um, by the end of this year, we'll have had 5,000 food for us in, in Guatemala. <clears throat> and, and there was a recent report that came out this last fall that, that, um, that I, uh, I'll be posting on LinkedIn. And Patrick Worms recently posted it, who's <clears throat> one of the leaders, experts in the world on regenerative ag. And he was one of our speakers at our webinars. We do webinars. Uh, um, at agroforestry regeneration communities, but we've done. Uh, and this report said that that of the land-based solutions that that agroforestry is the top solution uh, out of regenerative ag, and, and and it's and it's very effective. Um, and essentially, what we've what we've done with three thousand families in Guatemala is oftentimes they'll be growing corn. It'll be in a slash and burn. They might be using synthetic fertilizers or, or they just move from patch to patch. Um, erosion, uh, you know, not a lot of nutrient density, not good for biodiversity. It, and instead, we'll, we'll work to take a portion of that and do a food forest, plant on contours. We'll plant uh, like nitrogen fixing trees. We use a, a, a glitoceria, mother to cow. Um, and this is like free fertilizer, the leaves, you clip the leaves drop, chop and drop, and then that provides mm -hmm. fertilizer. And then we plant fruit trees, uh, diversity, so they get fruit like avocados or mangoes or jackfruit. And you can do that throughout the, throughout the growing season. <clears throat> um, uh, then we also grow 
uh, alley crops next to these uh, nitrogen-fixing trees will grow pineapples, cassava, <clears throat> ginger, turmeric, sugarcane. Um, and an example, we had one very small farm, and these are farmers that are like usually under one, one or two hectares. <clears throat> so um, an example, one farmer grew pineapples and they'd never grown pineapples before. They got in there, and this is in a remote area near the Caribbean, Guatemala. They, 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 they hauled their pineapples down to the creek, got into their boat, went to, went to Livingston, a, a little town in the Caribbean, and sold their 100 pineapples on the street corner for a dollar each. For a very small farmer, $100 a is lot. a big deal. In Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And, and um, literally with $10 million, <clears throat> we, could, we could expand to, um, to maybe 150,000 families, <clears throat> which, would, which would, you know, equate to, we would impact 5% of the population in Guatemala. And that's the number one country that, that, in, that comes across the board in the U.S., um, they because they they and we find our farmers don't want to leave they want to stay in and because now they have an income they have a future um they're you know imagine if if you're one of the one of the people in the community and you have mangoes and you have avocados you know you know uh people like hey i want to come over and do a party hey you know you know why don't you come and and talk to my neighbor's friends and see what they could who could help them mm -hmm. and yet <clears throat> And yet we see that the leaders in the World Economic Forum, <clears throat> the leaders in these environmental organizations, <clears throat> they're supporting the spending of a billion dollars in, in, in mining things to create carbon capture systems, metal you know, fans and high-tech solutions, <clears throat> when, when literally we can create food diversity, food resilience, I mean, biodiversity increasing insects and butterflies and bird habitat, um, <clears throat> food resilience, income. Mm -hmm. And yet we fund um, false solutions yeah, instead the, of things. And we're hoping yeah, that- We that sure do. In, in fact, we were able to get $400,000 grant from One Tree Planted, an organization you know, that, that gets money from large corporates. So, so you know, we keep, keep at what we're doing. And, uh, um, but that's an example of that the those who are supposedly in charge or who are tasked with this who are telling the public <clears throat> it's like when's the last time that 350.org or sierra club <clears throat> or or what have you these organizations when did they tell their members about these simple solutions and it also addresses you know historic racism and, and you know social justice um mm -hmm. and it's because their wall street benefactors don't want them to share this thing all they want to do is tell everybody exxon and chevron is bad solar and wind is good let's stop drilling let's go to green energy end of subject and they've been saying it for 30 years and every year the, the situation gets worse to me this is outrageous and ironically nobody will say this publicly i will say it and and it's one of the reasons why people you know don't like me uh because i i'm willing to call people out on their bullshit and it's not like we need to be negative or attacking people but if if you're taking public money and if you set yourself up as the 
so so called solution solutions people, and you you know this, and they will say, oh, we need to focus. Oh, it's too complex, you know. Um, and uh, you know, right now we're facing a huge food crisis. And so not only does this address climate change, but it's going to allow people to eat and to live, you know, like, Mm -hmm. do you you want to be politically correct or do you want to come from a place of love? Mm -hmm. You want to, because if you, if you love your neighbors and you love people and you love the environment, you're going to work to make the best situation for as many people as possible. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we all have our issues and I certainly, you know, I could do a better job. Uh, I'm no, I'm no perfect example, you know. <clears throat> um, but, uh, anyways, it's important to speak out now because do we want to wait till it's too late? Do we want to wait till the systems collapse? And the other thing I like to say, <clears throat> I've been involved in conferences, and and you know, like the Walmart Foundation had something a year and a half ago, and they invited <clears throat> all these people to come together and you know create you know these white papers we've been talking about this for 30 or 40 years these this is not mm-hmm. rock science no it's you not soil health and taking farmers but farmers are screwed over you know it's like farmers don't have access to selling for markets for processing and you know um it's, um, it's not a free market that. it's not a free market yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you know um so uh but you know, we got to make a little trouble. We gotta, we gotta, you know. Like I like to say, if you want to make a delicious omelet, you know, what you have to do to start with, you got to crack some, crack some eggs. Yeah, it's so true. And you know, authentic action over the long term is always wins over perfection in the short term. And I think a lot of times we get hung up on, oh, we have to be perfect to be doing this. When the reality is, is like little, well thought out, authentic, long term actions every day. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had to go back because this is so exactly the same thing I get really charged up about. Nature-based solutions don't have the IP potential that all these high-tech solutions that are extractive, reductionistic, and expensive do. And that's why all the VC money is just flooding into all these potential answers and completely neglecting the only thing we know that does work, but doesn't have that profitability. I mean, it's profitable but it doesn't have like the crazy wild profitability that technological solutions do. And that's disgusting and needs to change. Like I'm so tired of it as well, where I'm like, there's so many amazing things happening and they're all dying for funding. And there are things that are meaningful and very, very important. And what do you know? Someone pops up with some stupid widget and they get millions of dollars thrown at them just to make another thing that's going to end up in the landfill or like cause massive mining in another country that everyone here is all mad about mining oh, go do it in someone else's backyard. It's just fine. We'll buy that widget and we'll back it financially too, by the way. So it's a sick dysfunctional uh, model. And right now, venture capital is making the problem worse in my mind. It's driving an engine that's that's really dis- destructive and disgusting. And I'm, I'm kind of over it right now myself. So what you just said totally resonated, <laughs> but that's yeah. the battle I live every day. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, and it's unfortunately fostering independence and sovereignty does not build the coffers of billionaires. It just doesn't. It actually is the opposite. And that's why they're against it. It's been like that forever. Yeah. Well said, but we keep, keep at it. And, and the worst things get, and, and 
the more, you know, like what it really needs is we need the nieces and nephews and friends to have uncomfortable conversations <clears throat> with the gazillionaires. And that's what's driving part of it. You know, if when they get to the family dinners, <clears throat> you know, like if Bill Gates goes to a family gathering and his, you know, uh, nieces give him a hard time about why are you funding Monsanto when you could be funding, you know, regenerative agriculture, <clears throat> you know, they need to be right in his face and tell him that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the more people, you know, uh, and, and sometimes people do change uh, and sometimes they won't. Uh, um, because maybe there's another agenda and you can go down the rabbit mm. hole on that. Um, yeah, but we but, have to have those uncomfortable situations or things won't change. And unfortunately, it plays into this whole like constant virtue signaling culture where everyone's like, oh, let's talk about what reinforces us feeling good about what we're doing. And both sides of the political spectrum and everybody is, you know, gets pulled into this in some way, shape or form. And, you know, it doesn't get anything done. It just perpetuates the same BS that we're dealing with every day. I'm glad you are outspoken about it. I think it's awesome. We need more of that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, with your projects that you're doing right now, um, I know that you've worked extensively on agroforestry projects. You've also done a lot of work in the Great Plains and worked with Jessica, who's been on our show, um, in Great, Drain- Great Plains Regeneration. And I know that you've learned a lot through trying to push on Amer- the American agricultural sector because it is so institutionalized. It doesn't market. Uh, it doesn't operate as a free market at all. It's actually totally. Um, it's basically under the the oppression of both government and huge monopolistic multinational companies control. And the farmers continue to be the dog that gets wagged by the tail. And you know what did you learn through your work and your continued work with Great Plains Regeneration and working with the American Agricultural Institution? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So right right after. Thanks for asking. Right after Kiss the Ground came out, I, I said, well, what do I, where do I want to focus? We're going to have this window of opportunity to, to accelerate regenerative agriculture, this kind of, you know, you know 15 minutes of, uh, of, of fame, um, of focus around regenerative agriculture with the movie coming out. <clears throat> so I decided to, to, to work with, with farmers and ranchers you know, with a passion of regenerative agriculture in the Great Plains. So we formed a Great Plains Regeneration. And, and, you know, I saw clearly that, you know, farmers and ranchers were not getting paid a fair, a fair price. We looked at what the leading crop was, was wheat. <clears throat> you know, that's what they grow the most of in, in, in Kansas and, and, uh, and Oklahoma. So worked a, a lot in researching, you know, the grains and, and how, you know, not only how grains are grown, <clears throat> but how they're processed and, and what are the opportunities there. Um, and we looked at a strategy to create a, a farmer-driven, uh, you know, CPG brand <clears throat> around, um, you know, value-added processing of wheat into wheat flours, and basically go from a from a <clears throat> from a flour to a farm. I mean, farm to flour model. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and um, there's very few places that the farms can really even sell to, <clears throat> and and there's there's very little of any options to get to get wheat processed you know even on a toll basis <clears throat> so after about a year of going down the rabbit hole i concluded that it, it at the current scenario <clears throat> with the current players w- wasn't possible to do um 
and and that the political and economic and social forces <clears throat> in the United States um, don't want to change. <clears throat> they don't want a regenerative agriculture system. They don't want farmers and ranchers to win. <clears throat> you know, um, they people have been agitating about this for decades. <clears throat> um, you know, there is some small changes at the edges. You know, there is going to be some money for meat processing, <clears throat> but but um, so. I decided that um, I would I could get more results, and I find when I work in Guatemala or Malawi, <clears throat> I don't have the extension agents. You know, we don't have we don't have to worry about trying to unlearn the learned in in America. Mm -hmm. Think that they know mm -hmm. about soil. You know, that don't really know about soil health. <clears throat> they, right. they don't really understand. Um, <clears throat> you know, the the why cover crops are so important. I mean, Ray Archuleta says if we really wanted to change agriculture in America. If we really want to do something right, we would just pay farmers, you know, um, you know, fifty dollars an acre for cover crop, and it's very simple. You take a photo, you give a GPS, and we do it. But instead, we're going to try some convoluted carbon, you know, carbon counting, <clears throat> carbon system, which is very dysfunctional. That's unlikely to work, and we're going to spend all sorts of money. So it's basically going to be a, a boondoggle for the counters. Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, you know, I I chose to work in areas in regenerative agriculture for me personally <clears throat> to make a make a, a difference was I needed to leave the United States in terms mm -hmm. of my focus much, <clears throat> but you know I'm still I still involved, but I I'm just we're getting more results. We we're able to get you know uh, we're going to get two thousand <clears throat> farmers to go to. You know, agro, you know, agroforestry models uh, in Guatemala in a year <clears throat> where, mm -hmm. where, you know, we haven't been able to get 2000 farmers across the Great Plains to go to a regenerative model in this this year. <clears throat> you know, I mean, we have a lot mm -hmm. of good growers and producers, but it's not accelerating because the economics and the education um, mm -hmm. we need to do more on that. <clears throat> but but it's almost like we need a crisis. <clears throat> um, but you know, you look, you'd think the Ukraine crisis would hit people, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's shortages, there's going to be all sorts of food shortage. I mean, the economist just said, you know, food crisis on the cover, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe out of that collapse and out of people being challenged at their core, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it will change. Um, and um, so, uh, but there's lots of work we can all do. Um, uh, but I just feel like the barriers, the political, economic, and social barriers are significant. <clears throat> and and um, the unlearning, uh, I was just on a seminar recently, the unlearning yeah. America has to do <clears throat> is significant. Um, it is. Social media turns us into, you know, you know, arm, armchair, uh, you know. Quarterbacks. Uh, mm -hmm. Quarterbacks. And, and uh, everyone's got an opinion on this or that. I mean, right? We can't even we can't even understand that the major one of the major reasons for shortages of infant formula that the, when you read the media, virtually all the media says, well, it's because of the pandemic supply chain and uh, and a one facility, uh, um, uh, you know, was shut down because of quality assurance <clears throat> issues. But what we're not saying is, is that 
the one common ingredient in almost all baby formulas in the United States is sunflower oil. They never mention this. <clears throat> and, and where do we get sunflower? 90% comes from Russia and Ukraine. We're not going to get mm -hmm. that. And, and mm -hmm. also the FDA <clears throat> makes it very hard to develop, you know, baby formula. So it's a monopolistic. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's an example. People don't even know that. Yeah, no, they don't. If they knew the extent of it, I think it would really make them stop and think very hard every time they run to the grocery store and fill their cart with a bunch of stuff that's all supporting these huge government incentivized monopolistic companies. And I have a lot of friends. I mean, I live in North Idaho, so there's a lot of people who are like doing a lot of complaining about the big players and the billionaires and all this stuff. And then I'm like, I see them at the store and their carts full of every big company that is keeping all this BS in charge of their lives. And the buck stops when it has, when you get between them and their Fritos. I mean, it just does. And it's just, it's just, it, it's painful to me. It just is. I'm yeah. like, you guys yeah. stop. You're sitting down to a big fat plate of corporate lies every time you sit down and eat, but you're better than everybody else. Cause you didn't buy in. It's like, come on now, put your walk into your talk and get real. I'm, I'm just yeah. really tired of it myself. Yeah. I kind of hit the a wall. The other thing to Fresh yeah, out the of other thing Fs. <laughs> yeah. So the other, thing, the other thing to mention is that no matter, you know, we, we see the world through our tribal identity. <clears throat> so, so like when, when the, uh, like a Democrat will be in, we're going to then blame, you know, the Democrats for the food system, <clears throat> all this corruption, this and this and that. And then, and then, um, and then, the Democrats or liberals won't say anything. Mm -hmm. So I have all yeah. my liberal Democrat friends when I call out when I call Biden. <clears throat> then, then, then when Republican gets in, then, then those same people calling out the corruption of the billionaires and USDA and the, 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 the president, then they quiet down because they're going to support the Republican. <clears throat> and and then, then the Democrats and liberals are going to come out and critique mm -hmm. it we're, we're basically both sides are are yeah. are are, are the, the same just a different side of the coin yeah but, but corrupt in terms of, of yeah. agricultural policies oh well um, we neuter yeah. ourselves from actually getting anything done it's like yeah. so insane yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. insanity as it's fine at its finest i i'm with you there it's very frustrating so like as far as things that you're i mean john i think you're one of these people that's actually because you're willing to kind of put your neck out on the guillotine a little bit and just be like let's get stuff done let's lean into what's uncomfortable but at the end of the day like people who are listening that are kind of charged up by this and they're like damn it i want to do something like what do i do what should people do those little things they can do every day that don't make them perfect but make them effective at trying to create change in the world that's what yeah. needs to happen what yeah. what's your yeah. call to action to listeners yeah. today like a simple thing like is if you live in an apartment or you live in a house and you don't necessarily have a big garden literally just get a container you know a pot it, uh you know outside you know your house and, and you know grow some parsley grow some lettuce grow some kale grow something that you can eat um you can also grow even if you if you live in like in northern idaho <clears throat> in a colder area you know um you know you can grow things in the winter time you know in a pot um in your in your you know in your house i read I read someone is growing bananas in Ontario, Canada, <clears throat> commercially yeah. in, in a greenhouse. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so just the idea is doing something simple. Go to the farmer's market, you know, like 
say, why isn't there a farmer's market in your community? <clears throat> you know, like support that, um, you know, mm -hmm. support the farmer. Uh, you know, I know someone who volunteers at a farmer six hours a week, um, you know, just changing, you know, eating more whole foods, less yeah. package, just these simple little things. If everybody adds saves money oil, too, <laughs> it, yeah, it would make a big, a big, <clears throat> a big difference. And yeah, compost, it really would. Don't, don't, you know, compost or mulch, don't throw your banana peels in the trash. <clears throat> that's that's one thing and and if you live in an apartment or you don't have a compost bin you can throw it in your freezer and then every once in a while you just take it and just dump it outside even if you don't <clears throat> compost and you can just mulch it mm -hmm. yeah it's those little things that create more circular systems yeah. that break the cycles of dependency on all these entities that we're all fed up with but we don't have the strength or the know-how to push back and it's right. little things every day that are going to make a huge difference and um, I'm just, you know, I, I think people are wanting things that they can do right now. They're like open mm -hmm. to change because disruptive crisis creates fear and creates change. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it is just kind of human nature. People are here's very right. reluctant to change when they're comfortable. Yeah. Here's another thing. <clears throat> Write a letter <clears throat> to, to your, your state or federal, um, officials <clears throat> or, or regional it, and ask them to watch the film "Kiss the Ground" and say why why, why can't we <clears throat> help our farmers uh, mm -hmm. regenerate the soil? Because the farmers they're you know they're they're open to these things, especially if you if you can explain it um, and, and if we can give an incentive, et cetera. So you know farmers and ranchers can be can be <clears throat> you know they may have they may be contributing to to soil destruction. But they can also be, be on the flip side, can be part of the solution of soil health. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's how we look at it. And um, yeah, <clears throat> the time is now. You know, we don't have, we are at a crisis. We've lost 75% um, of all winged insects in the United States and in Europe <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the last, you know, 50 years. <clears throat> there was a great graphic. It talked about, it showed in the 1965, if you drove through an agricultural valley, for much of the time, um, there would be insects all over the windshield. <clears throat> in 2022, when you drive through, um, you hardly see any insects. And then they then they fast forwarded the same picture of the car and the windshield. Uh, but in 2050, there's no driver. Yeah. So yeah. You know, my my view is we are in the we are in the not the early stage. We were we were we we're more in the middle to latter stage of biodiversity collapse, mm -hmm. and and means nature as we know it. Um, you know, we've lost seventy percent of birds. Also, what do birds eat? A lot of insects. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so the we need to focus back on life an herbicide. So we need to restore yeah. nature um, and. Uh, Everybody can do their do their do their part. We've also lost. Um, here's a statistic. I want people to think: what percentage of the Pacific um, sardine population has disappeared since 2005? Guess what? Just everybody think what percentage that is. It's 98 percent. Whoa! That's even higher than I knew. Are like a keystone species oh, of the of man. the ocean. Yeah. And 
and essentially what what um and sardines eat plankton so everything in the ocean that lives either eats plankton or eats what eats plankton i.e sardines like you know sea lions and whales and <clears throat> etc mm-hmm. um, and it's the oceans are are collapsing because of rising temperatures the ocean's getting hotter and more acidic because mm-hmm. of all the carbon on the ocean so if we yep. restore the soil we restore the oceans <clears throat> we can also grow kelp and and we can reforest the oceans with 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 plants but first mm-hmm. we got to stop it and we also have to stop putting so many plastics in the ocean you know i mean literally we've made a big mess of it most people want to tune out because if you if they're if you geek out like you and i it's so overwhelming it's like, like, yeah, it's like, wow, this is just like, you know, what can one person do with seven or eight billion of us, you know, humans running around each with our own story, our own ego, our own needs, our own <clears throat> wants. Challenges. You know, yeah. You know, challenges. But, um, you know, we've seen change, you know, Martin Luther King, one man, you know, helped spark, you know, we're not turning you know, water hoses against people from Africa in the United States. We may still discriminate. There may still have poorer, you know, uh, school systems and, you know, lack of food and stuff in certain areas. Um, but, you know, there, there was some, there has been some change. We need to make more change. <clears throat> that's, yeah. that's an example. Um, of, he of, painted uh, a very clear future of a yeah. clear vision of what the future could look like. And that one statement changed the way people saw the future and then it's come to life ever since and like you said we have so much more work to do but we can learn a lot by what dr king said about let's stick our stake in the ground and paint a clear picture of what the future can look like and then let's get everybody working together to get there instead of all this silly strife and the big powers that be that want us to keep fighting they want us to not trust each other they want us to not work as communities because guess what nature-based community-based solutions don't create profit roi for billionaires they don't because they create sovereignty in the communities and smaller you know like decentralized economic gain and we have to push back on that individuals have got to take the bull by the horns and own that or we're screwed yeah yeah and remember what dr king said we don't have time for hate <clears throat> i yep. encourage everybody do not hate if you're a liberal do not hate conservatives if you're a conservative don't hate liberals yeah <clears throat> you know this is it's we become too we've been so tribal so um important yeah. to uh you know to have some compassion and and uh understanding and i know people get upset and uh um but uh <clears throat> you know i mean this is what you know our parents generation w- were was not into all this hate <clears throat> you know like politicians used to be able to talk to each other yeah you know of I mean, like they're you know, they're walking up to the steps of congress and yelling at each other <clears throat> you know you know threaten you know before they would laugh they would you know like yeah. they'd go you know well you know we maybe we better ch-, you know and like that's uh that's a that's a it's a good model we can we can learn from our from our elders yeah we can bring that back i'm working on it, working on raising kids that they feel like their friends can be across the spectrum. And that diversity of thinking is as important as diversity of what we're seeing in our environment, diversity of our communities and honoring people that look different, think different, feel different. 
all of it, it has to be politically too, or we will, again, that lack of unification will cause us to fail. So I'm glad we're talking about this. It's something I'm really passionate about and you know how passionate I am about that, you know? Right. And one thing I wanted to share is I learned in running Nativa and we had 120 people and we could have been from like the United Nations, 30 or 30 or 40 countries. One of the greatest tapped untapped resources and great greatest assets in America today is our human resources. And when you treat people with respect and compassion in the workplace, in your organization, you'll be amazed what they produce especially for women, uh, um, uh, you know, BIPOC people, because they, they haven't been treated fairly in previous organizations and society. And, and it was one of the successes that Nativa was able to grow so fast is we, we really supported and worked, you know, with leadership training for, for, for many of our women leaders and, you know, Latino and, and, um, you know, uh, black, black folks that, didn't get that before and they ended up mm-hmm. really rising and 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 really helped so that's one thing we need to <clears throat> to do and it's, it's an important um, lesson yeah yeah you know so and they they just love it when they when when there's like i remember this one latina woman she was saying <clears throat> she didn't even want to use her name in her last last company because because they would she thought they would tease her and make fun of her and, wow. and, and we wouldn't put up with any of that bullshit. It starts at the top. And I wouldn't put mm-hmm. up with any, any those discrimination. And if things were said inappropriately, we dealt with it. And, and if the person said it again, they, they were fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, those people, many of our people ended up rising in, in, in positions yeah. of, of management of the company. So really important, uh, you know. And it it's, is. Businesses build strong them, communities yeah. in that way. I mean, they really do. So, John, I, this you have done so much cool stuff in your life. I feel like we could almost have like a part two. We might have to invite you back for a second session and um, maybe some of our other guests and have like a panel at some point where we're talking about like Dune coming back and talking about the oceans and Chef Pierre talking about his work in Africa as well. And it's like there's all these common threads that come together and all these people that are doing so much and dedicating their lives um, that could be spent lounging at some resort somewhere, getting martinis served to you all day on a yacht. But I love that you're giving back to your community and you're continuing to dig harder, work harder, and make the future look in a way where we can have flourishing for humans and for nature both. So thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going li- to I'm gonna put in a bunch of links of where to find you. Thing, you know, If people want to follow your work and get involved, what they can do, how they can learn more about your organization. So I'll make sure that we put those in the show notes. But I just really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your passion with us and all, all, the, all the things you're doing to make the world a better place. So thanks, John. Yeah, thank you. Let's, uh, let's regenerate. Let's regenerate. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.